Our scripture today is 2 Corinthians 1, 2 through 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is the word of the Lord. That's great. We are an applauding church this morning. It's good. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> Come on. Can I get an applaud? Um, I won't feel bad if you don't applaud sections of the sermon. So I won't be like, well, we were all applauding until I started talking. Then it all stopped. But um, <laughs> so it was rightful to applaud Christy. Uh, if you haven't met Christy and Jason yet, uh, they are two-tenths of the Woodard family that are up here, right? Well, eight-tenths of the Woodard family are in Iowa right now. So Madison's parents, um, we go way back with them and have been in small group with them for a long time. And uh, so it was, it was a joy to have you read scripture today. Thank you. Um, I had one additional announcement. Well, first of all, can everybody hear me okay? I know, okay, the, um, I struggled a little bit in the corner there, but I also think my hearing, I turned 43, and I think it's, I just can't hear as well. So I was like, man, no one can hear in here. And I was like, oh, it's just me. Um, but one additional announcement is uh, we are kicking off at the beginning of September our community groups. So we're going to adjust our community groups a little bit to follow the school year. So when school's not in session, basically, for the most part, our groups will be, uh, our, the community life of the church will take kind of a, a, a winter in December and then a summer kind of version of different ways that we'll do community. But uh, just so you know, the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing a lot about community groups. So I think we ended the year officially with three groups and we're launching with six groups, Lord willing. So uh, in the month of August, we're getting together with leaders and stuff like that. But if you're like, what are these groups? What's all this stuff? Um, a way to think of it is that we are the church right now gathered here. Uh, then we be the church, if that's grammatically correct, but we be the church throughout the week scattered. And when we're scattered in our communities we live in and all that stuff, we get together once a week and we study scripture together. We actually seek to live this out. So the message that the Lord gives us or a, or a book that we're studying, we'll, we'll do that together. And it's a way to really know, know and be known and know the Lord and be known, but know each other. And then we're, we're building in a lot of service opportunities. So some weeks it'll be like, hey, what we're doing for a group this week is we're, we're doing this type of local mission in our community. And so uh, one of the groups is kind of outside the box. It's in Colfax. And it's going to be a group where people drop their kids off at Awana's in Colfax, and then stay in Colfax and meet um, while kids are in Awana's. And then, so, so being a part of that group will also be registering for Awana's and stuff. And you could be a part of that group and not have kids in Awana's and stuff. But, but that's kind of a, a unique group. That, that, and what we'll do is we'll start having sign-ups, which doesn't mean like you're signing up for the group in one sense. What it, what it really means is you're just letting the leaders know because if we see 
40 people say they're going to be a part of that group in Colfax, we're like, okay, that's going to become two groups in Colfax um, instead of one group. And we had to do that last year. One of our groups multiplied uh, in preparation for week two for the people that are going to be a part of that. So, so we'll kind of have people write down in pencil, like roughly a group that you might be considering, and that can help us get a feel for things. Man, no pressure here, but I would love for just the people that the Lord is bringing to be a part of Sacred Mission, I would love for all of us, as much as we're able to, to be a part of those groups and be in one of those groups. And you're like, yeah, I tried that six years ago. It was a total disaster. My invitation would be try it again, and it might be a disaster again, but then try it again because it's, it's worth the, uh, I think it's worth the fighting the fit to be known and to know and all those things. And so, so uh, basically that's just a commercial for, uh, for that is coming. But then also what I would encourage you to do is just pray about it. I think it's a great opportunity to say like, Lord, do you want us to be a part of a group in the fall? If so, would you direct us? Is that going to be the group closest to us? Is that going to be a group on the night that's best for us? What do we have to say no to to say yes to that? All that stuff might be good to, to start committing that to prayer, if that's okay. That feel okay? Okay, good. Good, good. Okay, we are, I got to adjust this a little bit. I can't see my notes. Um, last week, we kicked off our series, Gentle and Lowly, and our series... The focus last week was before Jesus says anything, before Jesus does anything, like who is he? Just who is he in his essence? Like we're not talking about his acts, his, his words. Who is he in his essence? And uh, there's a book over here called Gentle and Lowly, and that is just looking at Scripture on kind of this idea. And I've heard from people already, like loved it, already bought it for family members and stuff like that. Um, we, we, the, I think what we have is what we have left, and it would be awesome if there's none left uh, by the end of today. So we've handed out, I think, 90-some books already, uh, but I, and kind of the goal was to have it read by the end of August. So we're not doing a schedule, but just like, hey, if you've got an extra free hour that you might go to Netflix or something, pick up the book, and, and you'll be guided through. And what a lot of it is is what the Puritans had to say about the heart of God towards sinners, sufferers, and saints. And so the Puritans were people who lived like 1500s, 1600s, um, deep thinkers about the things of God. Um, and so, so last week it was looking at who Jesus says about who he is. And, and what he says is, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Like when you encounter me, you will f encounter someone who is gentle you will encounter someone who is humble, and you will find rest for your souls. So today, we're looking at the first person of the Trinity. So instead of the, the second person of the Trinity, we're looking at the first person of the Trinity. And what do I mean when I say that? So throughout the Old Testament, there were hints and signs that God was more complex than we imagined. And if you're looking for someone to save your soul, if you're looking for someone to center your, your life around, you're actually looking for something considerably complex. So it would be more complex than we are. And we are complex people. And, and so the idea that our God is more complex than a banana is probably important. Because <laughs> if it's like, oh no, God's way more simple than a banana, it'd be like, well, I, I need more than a banana to save me. 
I need more than a banana to center my life around. So the idea that we have discovered over time that's been revealed to us through the unfolding of Scripture, the complexities of God, should actually stir our souls and stir our minds. And so even in the book of Genesis, though, God said, let us make man in our image, using plural words there. So it, it was in the Old Testament, further revealed in the New Testament. And what, what we have been taught is that we have one God. So if someone is torturing you and says, how many gods are there? Just always answer one. We have one God. We have one God who exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's always been three persons of the Trinity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is fully God, and we have one God. In the book of Colossians, we read that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So there isn't like JV God, varsity God, the Father is varsity God. There, there's, there's none of that. All three persons are fully God in all godness, knowledge, power, and we have one God. So last week we were looking at Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity. So today it's what is the heart of the first person of the Trinity, the Father? What is the Father like? What is he like in light of my life? In light of my struggles, in light of my shame, in light of my sin, what is he like? And my default growing up is that um, I, I didn't actually meet Jesus. I would use that terminology. I didn't, I didn't meet the man. I, I didn't meet Jesus as my Savior until 1997, until I was in college, and um, that's its own story. But before that, I think I would have told you that Jesus is the nice one, that, that Jesus is the loving one, and the Father is the wrathful one. The Father is the one, the Father is the God of the Old Testament, and then Jesus is the God of the New Testament. I, I, I would have thought of him that way, that with the Father you get wrath, with the Son you get gentle and lowly grace. Jesus' loving heart is seen throughout the New Testament. The Father's heart of wrath is seen throughout the Old Testament. And, um, and that's just how I thought. And so first of all, that is not accurate. It's not an accurate reading even of the Old Testament. When you read of the patience, the kindness, the long-suffering with his people of God the Father in the Old Testament, um, it's a false caricature to view him as a God of wrath. However, he is just. He is just. Justice. It, it, he, he can never not be just. He is always just in all of his thoughts, actions, um, even in his essence. And it, it made me think of like, 
a great judge on the Supreme Court. Like, think of the most amazing judge on the Supreme Court who is wise, who is patient, who is kind-hearted. And even an incredible judge will make just decisions that if you're on the side of punishment, you're going to be like, wow, that's a really loving, just judge, and I'm going to prison. Because it was in their justice that you were sent to what was deserved. And the judge has the power to do that. So um, another element of all of this is conviction for me. So, and we're, we're getting to these verses that Christy read. Um, but when I first realized, and it wasn't till middle of high school that I first realized, oh gosh, the things I do, the things I say, there's a God aware of these things. And I kind of grew up going to church and wasn't sure if there really was a God that was aware of these things. And now, like, you, there's nothing you could say to convince me otherwise. He is real. He sees everything I'm doing. And at that time, I was like, I'm on the wrong side. I'm on the wrong side of the fence here, and I don't know how to get on the other side of the fence. And all I felt for about two years was this weight on me that, that I would now know is, uh, is best defined by the word conviction. I was feeling like the things that I'm doing are not the things that God has best for me to be doing. And he was letting me know that. And no joke, for about a year, my prayer to him, which I didn't know I was praying, I was just talking to him, I was saying, leave me alone. Like, would you please leave me alone? I really like the relationship I have going on right now. I really like my, my place in the high school. I really like the things I'm doing. And if you would leave me alone, I could enjoy these things. And that was actually how I was viewing his conviction of my life was leave me alone so I can enjoy all of this. And he wouldn't leave me alone. And I was like, why are you so mean? Why are you being so mean towards me? I'm trying to enjoy this. And um, it, it, of course, um, took me a while to realize that he was actually after my joy, which is why he was being relentless, was because he was wanting me to have true joy and not what I thought was bringing me joy, um, but instead him knowing best what would bring me joy. So the more that I learned about the perfections, the power of God, the more that I realized that my past and my present sins were a big deal to him because I was a big deal to him. And it's not because I'm a big deal, but it's because that's his heart towards all of us is that we're all a big deal to him. He wanted far more for me. He wants far more for you. And conviction is when our conscience comes face to face with him. And we should feel a, a need to be right with him. And conviction is really good, but it usually feels bad. It usually feels negative, and we can project that neg negativity on the Father. So is Jesus the nice one? What is the Father like? And there's a whole bunch of places we could go to, but 2 Corinthians 1 
uh, is where we're going to let it be our springboard into this pool that hopefully we'll be, we'll be swimming in. So 2 Corinthians 1, starting verse 2, says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we should be receiving from, look at this, both the Father and the Son. Grace to you, uh, and let me say to you, we, we have the words up here. We do have some Bibles over here, I believe. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you. It's yours. Um, you can get it on your phone too. We're in the ESV translation. So maybe you have a beloved Bible, but it's not ESV. You can follow along. The words will be similar. Um, but even if on your phone you want to go to the English Standard Version, you'll see it word for word. Um, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we should be receiving from both the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is grace and peace. Not wrath and judgment, but grace and peace. The other words in the sentence, though, are crucial. From God our Father. See that? From God our Father. So when you can say the Father, God the Father, when you can say he is my Father, when you can say he is our Father, you should experience grace and peace. When you can say that's my Father. And man, maybe some of you had, um, I I read a, a person this week talking about these verses and said, you know, a lot of times people have experiences with an earthly father that make it just super, super, super hard to conceive of a good father. And I've talked to people in the community who said, my entire life, I never heard my father one time say, I love you. Not one time. And this is a person I'm talking to that's in their 60s saying, I've never heard my father one time tell me he loves me. Um, a person writing about this said that is a photo negative of the father. You know, like you see a negative of a photo. I mean, I know we don't really have those anymore. You could probably get an app that would show you what the negative could look like. But when you look at a photo negative, you're like, that doesn't, like, I don't see any color in there. I don't see any definition. And then you, you make it the opposite or whatever that process is, and it's vibrant, it's in focus, it's amazing. And it's like, a father that wasn't the father that God the Father is. That's the, you had a photo-negative experience. Uh, uh, imagine that in focus. Imagine that colorful. And then if you're like, hey, I had a good dad, not great, not awesome, had faults. I had a great dad, not perfect. It's like you saw glimpses of the father. You saw, you saw glimpses. You, you've experienced some of that grace and peace. But how can I know if God the Father is my father? How can I say he is our father? And that's settled in the last three words of this verse. The Lord Jesus Christ. Every word in this verse, grace to you and peace from God, our father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that word, Lord? Not just with your mouth, but can you say that with your life? Jesus is my Lord. 
or say, no, I'm the Lord of my life. I'm the king of my castle. I'm the, the head of my little empire. Or can you say, I'm second. I, I'm, I'm not first place in my life. Jesus is Lord. If you've given your life into Jesus's gentle and lowly hands, verse two shows us when we do that, the Father becomes our Father. Jesus is our Savior. He is Lord of our lives, and we receive grace and peace, not wrath and shame, grace and peace from both the Father and the Son. Um, two sections of Scripture, um, this one was actually prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even came, is Isaiah 53. A lot of times we'll talk about Isaiah 53 around Easter time, but it's actually in the Bible the rest of the year too. And uh, so Isaiah 53, uh, starting in verse 3, says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions, adding flesh to what we've been talking about here. He was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So this isn't being invented in the New Testament here. This is prophesied, this is about 700 BC that this is being written. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord, the Father, has laid on him, the Son, the iniquity of us all. Imagine that. And I don't think he did that without having tears in his eyes as the Father is laying on his beloved Son. He gave the best he had. There's nothing higher that the Father could give us than his beloved Son, second person of the Trinity. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus pierced, was pierced for our sins. He's crushed to pay for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, grace and peace. He bought that for us by taking all the punishment of our sin. So he'd even look at the Father, and they were praying in Gethsemane, like, not my will, but your will be done. And the father is not being mean towards the son because the son is volunteering to do this as well. And Jesus' wounds, it's through them that we are healed as we are going astray. Not, it's like he's not waiting for us to do this. As we are going astray, as we're turning away from God, the father is laying all that sin on Jesus. And why did he do this? I mean, I think like when you hear this, you, you, it, you have to say, why? Why would you do such a thing? Why would he do that for me, even knowing what my life would be like, even knowing what each of our lives would be like? Why would he lay on his son the iniquity of us all? And uh, there's a lot of places that even explain why he's doing this. The book of Romans uh, talks a lot about this. So Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. This was a key verse in my life, opening my eyes to get off the hamster wheel of thinking that I just need to be a good person. I just need to do a few more good things than bad things, and God will be cool with me. And uh, this verse was used to show me, like, I'm not even in the right ballpark here on what is reality. 
Romans 5 says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You know, I mean, if you hear somebody like, oh yeah, this person like gave their life for this person. It's like, well, why did they do it? It's like, well, because this guy was a kind of a good guy. So he decided to give his life to a good guy. And it's like, I don't hear that. Like, I, I just don't hear that very often, right? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to make the first move. He didn't wait for us to kind of start getting our life together. He, he, while we were sinners, while we were the, as bad as we could be, um, he died for us. This is the love of our God, the love of our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. While we are still sinners, not even given the chance to clean ourselves up, Christ died for us. And we can get off that hamster wheel. We can say, you know what? If anyone ever asks me, like, hey, do you think when you die, you will go straight to heaven? And it's like, well, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do some good in this world. It's like, oh, my gosh. No, like, it's good to be good, but it's bad admission to heaven <laughs> because of what has been given to us, which is... God so loved the world. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These are actions of our God. Like these are actions of the Father. So you can tell a lot by a person based on their actions, right? You can tell a whole bunch about a person. But then when someone accurately describes what is fueling that action, what is driving that action to occur, you're talking about essence, the essence of a person that leads to their words, that leads to their action. And we actually have in a few places in Scripture, and what we'll, we'll look at in this next verse, is the essence of the Father. The essence of Him driving His action. Um, what we've seen is, is tremendous, is full of splendor. And then first, or Second Corinthians 1, 3, then brings us a little closer. So 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So as Jesus was described as gentle and lowly, the Father here is described as the Father of mercies. At the core of who he is, he is the father of mercies. And we don't use that word a ton, so I was just like, looked, like, what does the Oxford Dictionary say about mercy? And it says, mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power to punish. Okay, so it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom is within one's power to punish. Now, I've never experienced this, but my wife has experienced this a bunch, where, because um, uh, what I've experienced is the opposite of mercy, but what she's experienced is when a police officer is behind you, and you know they got you, like, got you, and maybe you're planning on speeding, maybe you just, like, 
got lost in a podcast or something, and you look down, and, well, you look and you see that there's, you know, lights behind you, you look down, it's like 85 or something, you know, you're just like, these darn new cars, you know, they just don't make them as slow as they used to and stuff. So, uh, so I've had that experience multiple times. What I haven't received is the experience of the police officer coming up eventually and saying, hey, I'm just going to give you a warning today. And you're like, man, you had me dead to rights. You know, I was even drinking. You know, or something. No, you don't say that. But, uh, but you, you had me dead to rights, and you give me just a flat-out warning. God, I, like, I don't deserve this. Like, I mean, it makes you feel light, right? It, it gives you peace. It gives you this, like, man, I, 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 guilty. I, I was as guilty as guilty could be. It was within his power to punish me too, right? So, like, if you see a neighbor that's like, hey, I think you're driving a little fast, you know, like, that might play into what you think of it. But when it's a police officer that has the power and authority to write you up, and instead they offer you mercy, and they say, hey, I'm, not, I'm just going to give you a warning today, you know, slow down. Um, like, this is getting us to what mercy feels like, what mercy looks like in action. It's compassion that's shown towards you when it was well within their power to punish you. And what the Father is saying is, that is me all the time. I am the Father of mercies. I, I am that. And what I love is it's plural. It's not just Father of mercy. I got, you know, I'm a shotgun. I got, you know, one shot or something. It's like, no, I, like mercy. This is plural. This is happening all the time. I'm the Father of mercies. He has as many mercies as the situations arise where he could be merciful. There's a great 17th century Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, and he says this about the Father of mercies. He says, God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies, as our hearts and the devil are the father of a variety of sins. So God is the father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery, but God has a mercy for it. He has a multitude of mercies of every kind. As there are a variety of miseries which the creature is subject unto, so he has in himself a shop, a treasury of all sorts of mercies divided into several promises in the scripture, which are but as so many boxes of this treasure, the caskets of variety of mercies. If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. As large and as various as are our wants, so large and various are his mercies. So we may come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in times of need. A mercy for every need. All the mercies that are in his own heart, he has transplanted into several beds in the garden of the promises where they grow. And he has abundance of variety of them, suited to all the variety of the diseases of the soul. 
I just thought that was beautiful. I know that's a long quote, but um, from a guy who lived in the 1600s, what I love is that's as true then as it is now. And, and he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And, uh, and this mercy brings us to the father of mercy, the God of all comfort. And, and you might think, man, this is wonderful for the people in the room that are not as weird as I am. Or like this is a great message for the people that can kind of be in this category, but my life is in a different category. My sins are of a unique nature. My story takes me in a direction that probably God didn't know about, (laughs) something like that. And you probably wouldn't think that, but he wrote all of this while we were yet sinners. He wrote all of this communicating to us that, that, like, the Bible doesn't have this other volume of all of the exceptions with a long list of names saying, true for everybody except ding, 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 you know, and be like, oh, man, I'm in that book. Sorry, you know. It's not like that. When he says this, he says this to the room. He says this to all of us, that he is the father of mercies. You are special, but you are not specially out of his love. You are not specially away from his mercy. The details of your life are as much these verses are true for you as they're true for anybody else in the room or anybody else out of the room. He wrote these things before any of us existed. He's the father of mercies for all of us. Grace and peace are on the table for all of us. Grace and peace are on the table for everybody outside of this room. And imagine getting that warning from the police officer. And let's say, like, you just went big time. I mean, you just, you, you rented some car that can go 200 miles an hour, you know, and you just were like, I don't believe the speedometer. I'm going to try it. And so you went 200 miles an hour and got, you got caught right as you're pulling into Bondurant, right? They go right on the other side of that bridge, you know, and you got, because you want to see if you could get in some airtime or whatever, right? And so 200 miles an hour, you get the ticket, and imagine receiving that gift of a warning and just tearing it up right in front of the officer's face and, you know, um, I'm going to do this on my own, you know, be like, well, you're going to, I don't understand, you know, I don't understand that the rejection of such grace and mercy and, um, and not to make things trite, But what is on the table here and the grace and mercy that's on the table when the Father of mercies is offering you his mercy and is saying, come to me. Jesus is saying, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. My burden is light. I will teach you my ways. And to to realize, hey, I don't deserve this. And guess what? Nobody in the room deserves it. And if they think they deserve it, we need to spend more time with Jesus to recognize none of us are deserving his mercy and let's accept it. Let's not give him the stiff arm and let's instead say, um, don't deserve it, receive it. And man, if you're feeling like, okay, I've given my life to Jesus, I pray some would give their life to Jesus today for the first time. If you say, okay, I'm giving my life to Jesus today for the millionth time in the sense that I'm, I'm giving him control, I'm giving him the reins of my life and I'm recognizing my heart is hardened. 
we need his mercy to soften it today. If you're recognizing, man, my heart's dead, we need his mercy to bring us alive today. If you're saying, man, my heart's just sinful, we need his mercy to cleanse it today. And when we come to the table of communion, what we are doing is communing with him. And the, the, the instinct in our flesh for each of us is to go from here and to make ourselves look appealing or to clean ourselves up and then to come back in here as a finished product. That is, is hollow. That's a hollow tree. The, the only way that we can change is by coming to the Father of mercies, by, by coming to our Savior, Jesus, and saying, here I am. Have your way. I'm communing with you. Soften my heart. Get, give me even the soft heart that desires to receive this. I, I'm coming to you. And what communion was, it was designed by our God was to commune with him. 